I planned to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. entrepreneurship scaling business plans then I became the CEO man are you ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world then you're listening to the right podcast ditch digger CEO we're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who'll be telling their amazing rags to riches stories these entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success we'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires Many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school. And with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. All right, we're ready to go here. Nick, uh, appreciate you being here. To, yeah, thanks to, for having me. To be uh, my co-host. And today uh, we've got a dude here that's uh, a person I've looked up to for probably 12, 13 years, I guess, since uh, I joined this crazy YPO thing in Chicago. And and, and Scott and a couple other friends of mine, now friends of mine, I didn't know well, were leading this YPO chapter in Chicagoland area. And, and man, when I when I saw this guy and how he uh, how he carried himself in front of all these other CEOs and and uh, how he engaged with everybody, you could see everybody looked up to this guy, right? I was like, man, that's that's the guy I got to know, right? Mm. This is this is Scott Robinson, my friend that's here today. Uh, Nick, you're gonna be uh, you're gonna have a blast as we interview him and and find out a little about his story. And how he's gotten to be the uh, Scott Robinson that so many people love today. So, uh, entrepreneur, um, uh, uh, coach, um, executive recruiter. I, you know, so many things about you, Scott. And I'm, I'm sure there's things I don't know that we're going to dig into today. So, Great. Scott Robinson, welcome to Ditch Digger CEO, baby. Glad to be here. Looking forward to it. Always love spending time with you, Gary. Well, you know what? Uh, we, we've uh, we've had we've been blessed to have a lot of great people on this on on this uh, podcast already with the thirty two or three I think we've got now, Chris. Right, thirty two, thirty three, yeah. thirty three, thirty three podcast. And uh, but that this is one I look forward to uh, as much or more than any. So Scott, uh, we're gonna we're gonna we always dig deep, and I think you, you maybe listen to a few of these, or whatever. Yep. We like to dig deep, we like to find out where you know where does Scott come from? You know where. How did this Scott uh, become the Scott that he is? That that's, been, that's become this leader in his industry, leader as a, as a coach to, to many, uh, a guy that uh, married way way up in, in, a, in, a, in a wife like Deb. <laughs> yeah, that's that, true. Uh, that's uh, an amazing friend of ours and a beautiful woman, and amazing amazing family with two great kids. So right. we're gonna we're gonna start with the beginning. On Nick, we'll we'll start with the, the you know. What what was your childhood like? Yeah. Uh, tell me tell me where the Nick you know nickel nickel bouncing out, but where where you uh, got this work ethic uh, to be who you are today? Sure. And, and you know I think do, do, should we do more of a you know I, I've got some, a few people that 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 ping me about the podcast that they love it, but they said is there a way we could do more of an uh, intro of the person who they are what they do ahead of time? Maybe we should do that just in, in an intro. Should we do it right now? Talk about sure. so so. Uh, you know, we, we so got, you got this right here. 
So let, let's. So let, why don't we let Scott start out with who are you today, Scott? And then we're going to go back. Okay. Okay. So that, that, I think that's a good way. Reverse for people engineer to this yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Who are you today? What do you do? And and then uh, then we're going to go back to the start. Yeah. Who I am today is. Uh, I guess primarily, I know this sounds probably a little corny, but I'm, I'm a proud father and a happily married guy. Uh, that's who I am. I mean, I, I'm a business owner. Uh, we do executive coaching and leadership development. Uh, we do retained search at the executive senior level, presidents, CEOs, vice presidents, uh, uh, board of directors searches for client companies. Um, you know, I hate to define who I am by what I do, but uh, I'm still doing it. So that's kind of where we always go. It's kind of the cocktail party mm. talk, if you will. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a happy guy that's been extremely lucky and has been introduced to literally hundreds of people along the way that have made me who I am today. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And, and so your business today, coaching, yep. executive search, can you go into that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, we help uh, our clients, uh, and I say that, help our clients, because that's who I like to work with. That's who we like to work with, our people that truly view us as a partner and look at what we do as helping them. Mm -hmm. uh, we try to assess their culture and assess what would be a good fit in an organization. I think that's the primary thing that we do, um, both from a coaching perspective and a recruiting perspective, is really try to understand what makes the business tick. I think that's how we can add the most value. So as we're recruiting and going out into the field and looking for senior executives to fill voids or open positions within a company, I'd tell you the primary thing we're looking for is culture fit mm. above and beyond everything else. Mm. You know, is this a person that can slide into this organization uh, and, and fit quickly yeah, or is it somebody that I and I look I use a lot of where you were going before with tell me about yourself that's my very first question for everybody anybody listening to this that's uh, ever going to be interviewed if somebody mm -hmm. says tell me about <laughs> yourself uh, use that as an opportunity because it really is because I'll, I'll give you a real quick example uh, if we're doing a, a search for a vice president of marketing mm -hmm. uh, with a 500 million dollar company I'll just use a small to medium-sized company and one candidate, uh, let's say they were born and raised in New York City. Uh, their father was a general counsel for IBM and their mother was a philanthropist. Uh, that tells me a lot about who that individual is. And I interview another person. Let's say this company we're working for is a $500 million plastic injection molding business. The other candidates that we interview or one of the other candidates might be, you know, his father worked in a steel mill was a blue collar guy. He grew up in a blue collar neighborhood and his mother was a nurse. Hmm. You know, automatically that tells me the differentiation between sure. who those two people are and how they might fit in a $500 million manufacturing company versus a suit and tie environment, yeah. you know, so, something yeah. like that. So, so, so you really, so think about that, Nick, you really, you really digs into the, understanding the paradigm, where that person came yeah. from to understand where they might yeah. be a fit. Yeah. How, how often are you running into businesses where, you know, you see an issue in the culture of the business that might be unfitting to most executives, um, and that is the reason for their, you know, issues with hiring. Yeah, I, I, that's a great question, Nick. I, I would tell you what typically happens is a lot of companies try to hire up. Mm. You know, the 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 the, uh, the Ivy League education. Uh, wanting somebody that comes from big corporate America and they're a small to medium sized company, but they figure if I hire somebody mm -hmm. from well-known high-end 
high brand companies, I'm going to get this great talent. Yeah. And they probably are a great talent, but they may not be a culture fit. Hmm. And I will just tell you that time and time again, the organization, if you're not a culture fit, will figure out a way to spit you out. Yeah. doesn't matter how good you are. I'd rather have a person who's an 80% performer and a great culture fit than somebody who's a 95% performer and a terrible culture fit. So yeah. this is why you've never uh, recommended these Ivy League uh, guys or gals to the Rabine group, I, I'm guessing. But that would be one reason. <laughs> 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 All right. They wouldn't be a fit. Yeah. Well, you know, hey, so I, I've had, had great experiences with Scott and, and, and actually, you know, not used Scott when I should have. And just recently it's happened. Recently, I, I called you about a, uh, an executive that we ended up hiring. Somebody we found we got a, we, you know we got a good group of people. We hired Nick knows the story mm -hmm. a little bit. Hired from a great group of people and, and ended up with a, a person we hired right. And this person lasted uh, four months. Yeah. And and really you know not a not a bad person. I mean really nice person. I thought mm -hmm. uh, probably uh, probably a fit for the role that they were taking on, but not not a fit for the culture that we thought they were, right? Yeah. So it didn't work out. So right. what did it cost us for that four months, right, to have that person on board and a, and a, and a parting gift that we had to give that as sure. the person left, right? Um, and what would it cost to hire you for that? I think yeah. uh, we might have saved a few bucks hiring you. I'm sure <laughs> right? of it, yeah. And, Lost opportunities is an expensive lesson. It is, and I could have gone back to you and said, Scott, Get get back on uh, on board here. You you know we we didn't get the right fit. You know find right. somebody else, and you probably give me a little discount anyway the second time around, right? Mm. I'd uh, always give you a discount, uh, Gary. Yeah, I always get <laughs> I always, I strive to get one. But but anyway, uh, and then and then I, I I've had the experience of you know we we had we've had tough times. I've talked about on my podcast, you know, where we we just really you know really uh, had some issues in our businesses and and had to downsize. Right? We had to we had right. great people had to go in order for us to right size the business to continue on. And we had that happen four years ago, I think it was. And and I went to you, Scott. I said, Scott, I got a, I've got a great CFO. He's a really good person. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I think he'd be a fit for our future, but he's not right now with the, with our downsizing and where we have to go. And and you know, I remember how you you fit him. It was amazing because you found a few few companies that wanted him. You know, wanted to interview him or interested in him. He had ended up having two or three that really wanted him. And then and then he chose a, a fit that I wouldn't have thought would have been a fit if I if I would have. But you dug it was into a great it. Fit. He dug into it. This guy is is has just uh, blossomed in this great organization. He's a rock He's star. A He's a rock star there. They love him. Yeah. The uh, the actually the, the president or the vi a couple of VPs and, and and leaders of the business are members of Bull Valley. So I could see him once in a while. These people, right? And, mm -hmm. and actually, Mark shows up too sometimes. But uh, but anyway, they they, they they got smiles in their face when they talk about Mark. Yeah. I can say Mark Smolinski, but you know what a great guy he is. Yeah. So it's really it's really fun when I see boy I felt so terrible about losing somebody like him. Right. But yet to see him in a, in, in an in an organization he's in to be just just blossoming and kicking butt it's it's a blast. Yeah. But it was you that that helped him find the fit, and it was never about you know how much was in it for 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 your organization. It was all about you know you're going to find the fit, and and you know I don't know. Again, I don't know what the variable cost is or how much you made or didn't make, but all I know is he knew, he felt, and I felt that you totally were out for his best interest first. Right. And and there's some maybe more money in another fit, but culturally he found what was perfect. So it's awesome to see that. Yeah, it, it was uh, great. Uh, you know, I'm I, I'm a firm believer, and and truly I am. Uh, you know, what goes around comes around, and, and karma and all the rest of those adages like that, and it, it the golden rule. Uh, yeah. I, I that's me. I I, I truly believe that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now it, it, I can't imagine how much fun it is to be doing what you do 
whether it's that or coaching, right? So think think about Nick if you're in his, in Scott's shoes or his team's shoes. When somebody somebody's in a position in their life, they're not the best position. They're looking for something, not happy with where they're at, or or they're on, they're not in a job, right? Right. And they and and then Scott and his team can find a great fit, right? Mm. How cool it is to look sure. back two, three, four, five, six years later right. to see that that person excel, right, in a position they help find. Yeah, it's uh, it truly is. I'm I'm lucky. I'm in a position that uh, you know we're able to help individuals and companies and participate. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the part I love the most is when you become ingrained in the culture and the fabric of the business. Uh, It's not just a vendor. I don't like vendor relationships. Uh I love when we're asked to come in and really get granular and really understand the full team of the organization and what makes it tick and then have an ongoing relationship with that company. Even after what we're being paid to do is done, Mm -hmm. we continue the relationship after that and really become a part where we've been invited to companies, clients' Christmas parties, and we get invited to their strategic planning meetings, and we just become an extension Mm -hmm. of who they are. In fact, I find myself often uh, when talking about client companies, I always – I tend to, I do, I catch myself saying we, hmm. you know, we do this and yeah, yeah. we think like that and we like to do these things and it's not we, it's really them, but. But it's, but it's we because you understand their culture, you're on their team. I am. Right. So it's, that's the fun stuff. That's awesome. That's fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah and at the, at the executive level, I mean, there's, it requires so much of your time that it's such a life commitment. You know, it's, um, it's really, you're offering them a whole new life almost, you know, right. um, sure. it's a big portion. Yeah, and that's the coaching business, which uh, we'll talk about, I'm sure, somewhere in here. But the coaching business to me is truly a passion. Uh, The search business was a way for me to take my skills and set up a business and make some money. Mm. Uh, But the coaching business is truly a passion of mine. Mm. Um, I love it. And I give my cell phone out to my clients in the coaching business uh, and say they can call me 24-7. And it's not uncommon for at least, you know, once a week you know, 9.30 at night, you know, the cell phone rings and somebody's calling. They just either got some bad news or they got to deliver some bad news tomorrow or they're going to present at a board meeting and they've never done it and their anxiety level's high. And, you know, we kind of work with them on, yeah. you know, getting them through that. And it's fun. When did that start the, uh, you know, the passion for, for helping people? You know, we well, that was really early on. I don't know if you want me to fast reverse. So, or- so I, I want to do one. I, I want to do one thing quick, and that and because it's on my mind, and I, you know me, I, if it's not, <laughs> if I don't catch it when it's there, it's gone. <laughs> never be back. And here's here's what it is. A here's, here's what it is. I've got some. You've got a challenge right now. So I, I've moved on, and I haven't announced this, this podcast, anymore, but to a chairman role in my business. My wife, Cheryl, needs a lot more attention. Right. She's she's uh, she's had a, a tough go of it the last right. month or Which, so. Which, by the way, I'm going to interrupt you for a minute. Yeah. I just want you to know, Gary, and I'm sure you do, but I'll just tell you this because I know it. There are literally hundreds of people out there that think and pray about you guys every day. I appreciate that. I mean, it's awesome. really. I appreciate that, and it means a lot because it's making a difference. And we're, you know, we're very, uh, very strong Catholic Christians. It means a lot to us, right? Yeah. And and we can, and she feels it. She feels prayer actually. Yeah. And, and it sounds kooky, but she does. And, well, and we've say, been in that situation, as you that's know, right. uh, yeah. with my son, and uh, yeah. so we can. You can feel it. You, can, you really can it, feel it. It's aw- it's awesome. And and right now, you know, the last 10, 11 days, she's been doing amazing. And that's she's, great. So we went to the therapy in Austria. I think I, met, I don't think I talked about that on this podcast yet, but uh, Austria here. Did I talk about that before? About a month ago, uh, we're, we got back, and uh, she went she she went downhill fast to where she couldn't move her left side. I don't know. Anyway. 
Uh, bottom line is uh, uh, she, she's kicking butt the last 10 days. She's yeah, getting better that. and better and better and better every day. She walked 60 feet the other day, which is a big deal. Um, she had no use of her left side for the, for a few weeks. Uh, so, so either way, things are you know it's, it's awesome what we're seeing out of her right now. Good. Um, so so God's working in his amazing way. But but okay. But when I when I looked at uh, you know that these things are going on in my my life. So in my business, I step uh, I step up. I say to chair a chairman role. I go. I talk to my board. My board says you know I'm, I'm thinking is Austin capable? Does he want it? Or do I look for a CEO? Do I go to my buddy Scott and find a CEO? Do I I didn't see anybody in house right now that's ready. And my board says, you're, you're nuts. Austin's ready. He's not a kid anymore that you think he is. He's ready. He's 32. He's, he's doing a great job with the site, the companies he's, he's operating. Um, just, just get, you know, get off your dead ass and make him a CEO. And I, and so I did that. Right. And, and, and he's doing a great the last couple of weeks. It's only been, but he's, he's asking the right <laughs> questions. He's, yeah. he's, uh, diving in deep and I love it. But, but either way, when I, when I look at, uh, the situation we have now, he is, we have a great company that's growing fast. It's an amazing value. It's called Site. Mm-hmm. Site is now partnered with an Israeli company. That that's unbelievable. We're going to be able to see groundwater and water leaks in the ground anywhere from eight to twenty feet below grade anywhere in the world. Okay, this Israeli company was the one that that, that NASA uses today to discover where where water is on Mars, Venus, and any planet in our galaxy. Okay, they discovered the the the, the technology to do that using satellites. <clears throat> there are partners now. We're the wow. only ones in the world that are partners with them in this space that we're in, groundwater, right, which reduces the life of pavements. Right. So this site is really developing nicely, and we got to find a CEO for that now. How would you go about finding a CEO? we got to have a CEO that, that can raise money, that, that's been there and done it. I don't care if he's failed or won. Hopefully he's won sometimes, right? right. But he's got to be a CEO that understands technology, AI, and all these things, and yet a CEO that people would invest in, whether it's me investing more, outside investors investing. How do you go about finding that? Because I'm going to be picking your brain and you can tell the audience yeah, that. No, that's fine. I mean, it's it's really the ingredient, the first and one of the first ingredients to find, doing any search, quite frankly. And that is finding like or similar companies out there. They've either had similar growth patterns. They've had sim- similar needs in raising money. Um, startup, you know, mentality that's been able to do a startup or a green field and then take it all the way to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever all those ingredients are that we would, we would want to find out from you, you know, what, it's a new startup. It's a, is it a joint venture? No, this it's, Israeli it, it, company. It's, it's not the way. So we basically have the, the licensing uh, to to their product for our space. Okay. In in in, in America, in North America. All right. All right. We have we have the light. We basically are the their partner, their exclusive partner for North America. Um. And it, and if this if and if we build it together strong enough, we'll be their partner globally because their product now only identifies leaking water in pipes, mostly municipalities all over the world. They're in like twenty five countries now. Okay. Yeah. Our, our our what we're bringing to them is. That the, the commercial industrial relationships are the biggest building owners in the country, where we're we're looking for groundwater problems that create life expectancy challenges for pavements. Got so it. pavement can last five years or twenty years. If it's got water groundwater problems, five, ten years is all you're gonna get. If it doesn't, it can last twenty. Right. So big difference in million, you know, ten million dollar pavements or uh, whatever it'd be, right? Right. So that's so it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we'd wanna dive into, and I don't know that we'll do it on this, but we might, is what's the priority? of this CEO is the priority. And I'm going to use a 30,000 feet measurement of that is the priority of this business to really understand the business, water, 
leakage, pavement effect of, of one and the no, other? We've, or we've got the, is it we've the, got the experts, right? Yeah, that's so what the, I thought. So, so it's going to be, you need to understand technology and, and project management technology. Right. When do you use AI? How do we grow the AI to take over a lot of the, wor- the, right. the, the legwork, right? Um, raising money. You, you better be somebody that's been leading an organization before that's raised capital, right. you know, big capital, if, you know, let's say mm-hmm. 20, 50, 100 million bucks. So that we know that this person, as it grows, can raise that same capital on its past history. Right. That'd be a big advantage. I mean, it doesn't have to totally be that big, but uh, of, a, of a dollar, let's say, if they've raised five, 10 million bucks before and they've had success raising and then and created a great benefit to the, the stockholders, that's probably what we're looking for. But they got to have an understanding of, of technology, how to use it. And if they had an understanding of real estate, that would be a big deal too. If they right. understood the real estate industry nationally or globally. Right. So, so those would be, you just named it. Those would be the ingredients that we would need to find in an individual. So the yeah. idea after that is to get those ingredients and then go out and look at markets or targets of companies or markets and more generically that require all of those same things. Like it might be somebody from private equity mm-hmm. that's done money raised before, that's taken a company from private to public or however, whatever all those ingredients are. Okay. And then it's whittling it down to a manageable number. I always talk about, you know, looking at things from a manageable perspective, whether it's somebody looking for a job or whether it's somebody that we're or a client that we're looking for an individual. You can only look for so many ingredients, mm-hmm. you know, six, eight, 10 major ingredients. And then okay. you try to filter from there. Okay. So the, the, the first, first part to answer your question would be probably developing a list of 100 to 150 companies that would have similar mm. situations going on at their sure. early stage. And then we would want to go find somebody within those companies that's got P&L responsibility mm-hmm. that's walked through those same things that are required. Mm. Cool. So they bring those experience to this role. And there's there's some people that have built something and sold it, right? They 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 were the president, maybe CEO, maybe chief uh, technology officer that that had P and L responsibilities. That grew it, sold, had it had a had a payday, right? And maybe they got some money in the bank, and then if they if they were able to invest a little bit and had right. some skin in the game, even better for us, right? That's right. So that's kind of the way we think. Yeah, so, an right. entrepreneurial mindset that loves the build. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cool. not it's not necessarily the guy always that can keep the wheels on and get that two to four percent growth every year. Mm-hmm. It's somebody that loves to build and build fast, scale and fast. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. that's what we need. So we're going to be talking about that. All right. And then okay, and then you talk about coaching. We'll go to coaching. Yeah. Now we've got. Austin, a 32-year-old CEO. Yeah. We've got we've got a new CEO potentially there. We've got we've got a young team here of leaders. Uh, Janelle, my daughter, has actually taken over the, the president role at Rabine America. My my leader there has gone off now to partner with me in another business. Just like you know, we as entrepreneurs yeah. think we had another opportunity. We saw maintenance being a little niche market within Rabine America that that we that we were serving very well. My leader there said, Gary, I just want to go off and run this maintenance thing. Can I do that? And I said, Yeah, as long as you replace yourself. So he's replaced himself with Janelle now. And so he's, he's mentoring her into that seat while he goes off to run Rabine, Rabine America Maintenance, right? right? He's calling it RAM. And so again, now Janelle, 30-year-old right. you know, leader in, the, in, in this business. So it's about a, uh, it was about a 40 or $50 million company, right? A lot, a lot of responsibility for a young, young person, right? right. We, we we're confident she's got the, all, all, the, all the right traits and cultural traits that, that we want. Uh, she, you know, she's a great, great young leader. She, she's got lots of compassion. Um, she's, you know, just really, really good person. Um, now, does she have the ability to, to hold people accountable? That's something she's only done in small levels, a person or two at a time, not right. not the team that she's going to have now. So she's got challenges, but she'll get through them because she's smart and she's compassionate. Now, 
again, think about this team we have. We've got we've got another CEO that's building a company. He's out of Texas now, and he's kicking butt. But he's he's fastly growing a company there. He's a thirty-seven, eight-year-old guy that's doing a great job. He's actually could be a, a he, he's actually a perfect picture of a of a young leader that's that's been there and done it now and right. he's and continuing. So either way, we have this group of people that we probably don't put together enough. We've got a great leader of our paving company that's been here for ten years and really really strong leader takes everything on his shoulder, really accountable. Not not as old as you and I, we're young guys, but a younger younger guy than us, right? right. About ten years right. back back of us. So either way, when I think about this, how do you look at this organization of eight companies and all these different leaders running from small to mid-sized companies as uh, opportunity to coach? Yeah, you know, it's it's finding the individual skill set. Um, I don't know Janelle or Austin well enough since we're using those as examples, mm-hmm. um, and they they are young leaders. So I just think mentoring is critical. It could be an outside third-party coach, and that they feel comfortable going to because. They need. They don't want to get undressed in front of the people they work with, or mm. look like they show their weaknesses or their chink in the armor. Mm, but they yeah. feel comfortable doing it to a third party and being totally open with their kimono mm. and saying, "I really don't know how to handle this, but I don't want anybody in my organization to know that." Sure. You know, I need to be the face of strength in the organization, if you will. Um, so I think we can we can add value, or a coach can add value from that perspective. On the whole onboarding process, um, you know, of, of really truly onboarding somebody and getting them comfortable and confident uh, in their new role that's, that's so that so they're important. not skinning yeah. their knees and bumping mm. their nose. Some of that's important. You know, skinning your knees and bumping your nose along the way, you learn by those those things. But you don't want to make the big flub. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to make the big mistake. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, can be used from that perspective. But, you know, again, Janelle and Austin being examples, you know, we'd want to fully understand Austin's strengths and his developmental areas, which Mm -hmm. might be completely different. Than Janelle's. No, she might right. carry a whole different set of skills, sure. but has a different set of areas of development. And so you can't ever coach any two people the same exact way. It's like the old saying, you can't manage everybody exactly the same way. You manage everybody differently. Sure. You're going to be more effective and more efficient because you're hitting their buttons. And the same thing goes through with coaching. So, so my my issue, Scott, and, and I think anybody listening can understand this, whether you run a small organization or a big organization, as you grow as a leader and you grow as an owner and you have the most liability as a majority owner, as I do in most of these businesses, right? The biggest thing I think about is risk and reward, right? And I, and I and I and I have total confidence. Every leader I have today is awesome. They're great people. They care. They're caring people, and and they're hardworking people, right? So I believe I'm I'm in the right position. Now the question though is is when it comes to risk and reward, when do they when does their decision making stop and mine begins as a chairman as a as a chairman in our board, right? Because uh, if I was just a board member and a chairman of the board, but I had you know a couple percent interest in these businesses. You know what? If, if they're the CEO and they've got 40, 30, 40, 50%, they should, uh, they should have more, more risk, uh, ability to risk, right? And, and take, take risk and, and, and for reward. For me now, it's a matter of, okay, I still have all the risk in these things, right? And so now how do I communicate on a daily, let's say weekly basis to understand that they roll up all the risk the, that, that to me that they should, and they take on all the risk uh, and, and their day-to-day responsibilities that they should, right? Yeah. I mean, how do we look at that? Because that's the, yeah. the biggest challenge I have today is that. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's interesting because it's it all boils down to your definition of chairman of the board. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some chairmans in companies are strictly at 30,000 feet. Absolutely. They're literally unengaged in day-to-day operations. And 
that's probably the true definition. I know. Yours is a little different. There are smaller companies with multiple, you know, divisions with now young leaders of which in at least these two cases are kids of yours. Mm -hmm. um, you're just one of those personalities. You're engaged in the business. So for me to sit and say to you, look, you're got to be at 30,000 feet. You got to give up day-to-day -day operations. You can't be involved is probably not realistic. But what is realistic is what is day-to-day -day operation for you as chairman? Mm -hmm. Is it to get down in the weeds and to solve everybody's problems no, for not. them? Or is it to mentor and make sure that they're not creating bad mistakes yeah. and they're learning from your experience? And how often does that contact take, that contact take place? Mm -hmm. Do you guys have set meetings as opposed to dipping in and dipping out, which is my recommendation to everybody? Mm -hmm. And I'll just tell you that. You know, I would say, you know, for example, every day at 10 o'clock, I'm going to talk to Austin or every Monday at 10 o'clock, I'm going to talk to Austin. And every Thursday at 10 o'clock, I'm going to talk to Janelle. And we're going to talk about an agenda. There's mm -hmm. going to be an actual agenda, problem situations, successes you've had along the way, areas that are bothering you. Maybe those are the only three topics. And you do that every week unless there's a major issue going on. Otherwise, if you're dipping in and dipping out yeah. unexpectedly, Confusion. unannounced, the organization doesn't know who's really leading. Yeah. And it creates, uh, you know, people want to go back to Gary. Sure. If they think Gary's really running the business, mm -hmm. I mean, it's just natural. People are going to do that. Sure. So you need to really communicate highly to the organization who's really in charge and then give them the opportunity and the responsibility along with the authority uh, to do things. Sure. And it's a happy medium, right? We're, I'm, I have an open door policy. Unless this podcast is going on, my door is open 99% of the time, right? If I got somebody and we're talking to doors open and right. people pop in and out, right? And, and, pe and our people in our organization know that's how I operate. And I like everybody else to operate as much as they can that way. Not that they have to, but as much as they can. So with this transparency, of course, it becomes a problem too, right? I want to be in, I want people to, to I want I want to know who's here working every day for our organizations right I want to, I want to know them I want to love them they're my friends they're and, and but with that right I, I I have a hard time not listening to everything they want to say right. and I should but yet but yet where does it go from there right and and I well, cuz I can undermine my organization that's it. if I if I allow too much you the know, first question you ought to have to somebody after they walk in your door and explain why they're there the first question you ought to ask is have you talked to your boss first mm -hmm. I usually do after the subject comes up. Yeah, but I well, that, that's okay. But I, that's okay. You're, you're letting them air their feelings or their vent or they're going to tell you their problems or whatever it is. But the next question is, is, have you gone to Austin? Does he know this? Right. And if he hasn't, then you need to direct them back to him first. Yeah, and I usually do. When the subject comes up that they have an issue with somebody else, I always ask, hey, did you go to them and talk to them about it, right? Right. And, and, and probably... 60% of the time they haven't, which means there's probably a problem. They're coming to me before that, which yeah, is, seems like just being aware of the potential is probably step number one, right? So it's mm -hmm. good that you're even aware of it. Well, Nick, you're around here, dude. What do you think? What, what, is it, is it, uh, how, things falling apart. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think there's a fire in the, in the other side of the building right now. Fine. Get the buckets. <laughs> Get the buckets. <laughs> no, it's going great. It's going good. great. Good. So what about, uh, it sounds like the relationship that an executive has to the business that they're going to be part of is pretty unique, right? It's almost like a puzzle piece um, to fit the culture properly. And um, But there's got to be some things you could do um, before you're ready to be an executive that would give you, you know, experience. Um, but is there is there anything that you could, um, that you can think of that you, you could, some advice you'd give to people that would like to be in that position eventually um, and situations they can put themselves in to be more prepared for that? Yeah. Uh, two things jump right to my mind as you were asking that question. One is ask for a mentor. 
Mm. Pick your own mentor. Mm. Find somebody in the organization that you highly respect, highly regard. You love the way they make decisions. You love the way they manage and go to that individual and say, would you be my mentor? Mm. And literally go to them and ask for a mentor. You know, the, the second thing is, is to volunteer. Ask for project work. Ask for something you're interested in. Yeah. If you like doing something in particular, go ask to be involved in that. Yeah. I love being involved in whatever it is, and I'd like to learn more about it. Can I be put on a team, or can I participate, or I'll work an extra you know, hour a day if that's what it takes mm -hmm. to, to be involved in a project or do something. And it's it's... I hate to use what's now becoming an overused term, but, you know, lean in and, and ask for stuff. Yeah. Volunteer, put yourself out there. And express that interest, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I had read a book, uh, I think it was called Stealing Fire, but they were, one of the stories in it was talking about Google's search for their first CEO. And one of the things that they used in it, um, the, one, of the, one of the requirements that they had was, was uh, that the person had gone to Burning Man. Do you know what Burning Man is? It's like a yeah. music the festival. Outdoor festival. Yeah. Yeah. But the but the reason for that um was the openness to different experiences right. and the ability to um adapt and uh you know um operate within weird different experiences. And I thought that was an interesting yeah. uh, marker for looking in, into finding an executive. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, I, I don't want to Google bash here for mm. a minute, but I think Google has a great brand awareness mm. and a great brand reputation as far as a place to go and, and, their, and their products. Um, but Google also has a very high turnover rate. Mm. Um, you know, you'd think, wow, it's Google. Everybody wants to work for Google and what a great place to be. And I'm sure it is, but there's a high turnover rate there for some reason. Mm. Uh, I don't know if they're working people, you know, 50, 60 hours a week and burn them out yeah. or if leadership is stretched too thin and can't mentor and train people effectively. I'm not sure what's causing that, but I bring that up just as an example because all great brands doesn't mean it's a great place to right. be and it's, right. or it's a great culture fit. Yeah. So one more thing I want to ask you, uh, you mentioned hours. When you look at leadership, what yeah. type of hours? I mean, I, I, you have leaders that say, hey, I'm a 40-hour-a-week leader. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead. I want to be a C-level level, but I'm going to work 40 hours a week. That's all I want. I'm not going to work off the clock. I, yeah. I don't find that, in my opinion, as a leader I want to invest in, in my yeah. businesses, right? Yeah. I want somebody that's on the clock. All the time. They, got, they got to love this business, love our people so much and our customers so much that they, they 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 love a call on a Saturday maybe and they they're not they have no problem calling and have a conversation on a Sunday because they love what they do and their family is okay with it because they know their 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 spouse is excited about the conversation they just had on the phone on a Sunday morning right uh, you know versus the other alternative well, I'm going to so tell, tell you about that. yeah I'm going to tell you a story and I Chris and I actually touched on this when I when we were getting ready to kind of set this up and get started and we were talking about the difference between leadership and and getting to a position when I grew up versus millennials today. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I grew up, when I first got out of college and, and got my first job in corporate America, I was given a piece of advice, which was your car needs to be in the parking lot, the very first car parked in the morning and the very last car to leave every <laughs> night. So when the company president or the managers drove in, they would see your car and figure out whose that was and know you must be busting your ass to mm -hmm. do a great job. That's how I got into this. Um, today, that's just not the case. It doesn't happen that way. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm going to tell a story to kind of go at your 
your situation here. I was at a, uh, I was listening to two speakers, actually a YPO event. I'm listening to two CEOs of two very large companies. One's from France and one's from the United States. And I'll make this real short. They, they were being uh, interviewed by a, a facilitator in front of a group of people. And they asked the guy from the United States, you know, what's made you a successful leader and how do you determine whether you've been a successful leader? And he said something basically very similar to what I just talked about. I lead by example and I'm in the office at 6 a.m. and I'm usually not home until eight o'clock and I'm usually there on Saturdays. And if I'm not there, I'm taking emails or doing phone calls and I work mm -hmm. six, six days a week at least. Mm -hmm. So that's a short version of his example. They went to the guy from France and they said, how do you lead and how have you maintained or how do you measure your level of success as a leader? Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, I take about four months of vacation every year. I spend a lot of time on my boat in the Mediterranean. I'm usually in the office about two days a week. And it was very, very different. But what he said was he measured his success as a leader and being uh, leading a company that he did such a great job of hiring and mentoring and training his direct reports mm -hmm. that they can run the business without him. Mm -hmm. And he just does, you know, the 30,000 or 50,000 feet decision-making and he's involved at that level, which allows him to take four months of vacation and work two or three days but, a but week. But wait a minute, in France now, that's kind of the required vacation time. Well, I think, I'm just, but I'm just <laughs> saying it was, it was an interesting way to no, look that's at, really cool at because, leadership. Yeah. One looked at yeah. it leading by example and working 70 hour work weeks. Mm -hmm. And the other one led by example by saying, I got people working for me okay. that are so great. That's that spectacular. They can number live two, me. number three, and they, and they, they don't need me. Yeah. I, so it's a, for the, the main decision. It gets back to culture. Yeah. You know, what's yeah. the culture of the business? True. No, 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 no doubt about it. And what's the culture of the country that right. you're, and, and, the, and the customers, right? That's right. I mean, are, are, are your customers demanding that they want to talk to that CEO and, and they all, they all, that's common, right? right? Or is it a culture where they don't want to talk to the CEO or right. you know, the, the leader, right? So yeah, and and what what have you built? What's the expectation you built? Maybe you're in an industry that 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 doesn't uh, communicate to the high level, but you've created a culture with all your customers where my phone's on twenty four seven. I've made the mistake to to do uh, not a mistake because I like my my I like what I do right. Right. So I'm I am available all the time to people, but but again, that's not maybe the next CEO is not, and now now we've got a culture switch that that's right makes it tough for our customers right. to stay on board it's it, again I, I hate to overuse the word but it, it is a culture difference i mean well, it's how you want to lead and, yeah, and, and i talk about this but 10 15 years ago culture i thought was kind of a joke right i mean come on you expect people you, you pay them you give them a good check they come to work they, they get their stuff done and they go home when they get when they got to go home right i, I don't want to hear about this culture crap and that was probably that maybe 10 years 15 20 years ago for sure that's my mentality right. and my industry's mentality right now I mean, I realize how important that is because, boy, uh, we you know we have great people because of our culture, and then and then we have really bad fits sometimes because of our culture, and it's a good reason. There's a good reason for the bad fit. Right. Um, and, and but either way, without it, without those values, those consistent values that we drive, who are you, right? If if nobody knows who you are, nobody knows the direction you're going in. They don't know where their seat in the bus is right. now or where it should should be in the future. Right. So I, I'm I'm so uh, so. Uh, pumped up about you know our culture now and in the future and where it's going to go because we we do strive to understand it strive to know our team if it's got to be tweaked and changed every five six years we'll we'll do it right, right. and i'm sure that you've seen a lot of changes with the how technology has been creeping into our lives and, and the introduction of just always being available right and right. um you know i don't know um 
what it was like when you had first started off, but I'm sure it wasn't as prominent as it is today. Or, you know. <laughs> no, I can tell you when I first started, it was definitely not front. Sure. Technology for me was a phone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and then real technology was, I remember I might have been 25 years old and I was probably one of the first guys to ever get a car phone. Mm. literally it was mounted was in right my there. trunk yeah mm. oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know the power unit was in well, the until trunk. the back phone came along you <laughs> that's had the, right and then you had the 10 pound battery over your shoulder that's right, right? and then the, the, br- the brick phone the brick phone that. that was yeah. next that was cool that was high tech yeah. Yeah. so yeah it's a lot different today there's sure. no question do you yeah, still have the same phone number you had back then no i do no i still wow. have the same cell number wow yeah. no i don't yeah i mean it's in it's in your life all the time now right and uh just got to be a, a healthy management to that too i'm sure yeah. right? it's it's discipline mm-hmm. you know i mean if you want to be on the phone and, and you want to be on calls or you want to be on emails or text messages 24 7 you can do it mm-hmm. you yeah. know i i i prefer not to do that mm-hmm. i make myself available as i said to my coaching clients 24 7 and i do that but they i have never had a situation where somebody calls me and i felt it was an unnecessary phone call. Hmm. It's usually they they use good judgment. My clients have used really good judgment. If they're calling me at eleven o'clock at night, it's for a really mm-hmm. good reason. Yeah. So it I enjoy that. I invite that. Um, that's very different than somebody just checking in all the time or asking you permission to do something or sure. what would you do if you were me all the time. That that that's just a little monotonous. Okay, so so I want to go back to in time then. Yeah. So we got we got this a summary of who this this buddy of mine is, right? But but and Scott Scott's not going to brag about the champion he is at so many things when it comes to building business, right? And and an acquisition, acquiring businesses, selling a business, right? Which you've went, been through all that, and then building another business, right? And 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 bringing your son into the business and a fam, you know family into the business. All these things you're doing are unbelievable. And and you've led. You've been a leader in the space from anybody I talk to, anybody anybody I know that's in the space. You know, my, my, my buddy Scott Robinson, and and their eyes light up. Oh, I know Scott. Yeah, that guy. That guy is unbelievable. You know? And they and they, and at my C. CFO right now knows you and you don't know him probably, but he's my actually our COO now. He went from CFO to CEO. That's a good, that's a great hire we did without you. Oh. Okay. Uh, it, it, was, it uh, happens. A, yeah, it happens. <laughs> a friend of ours is bought out by a large uh, uh, private equities group and he was, he was, uh, you know, he was going to go another direction and we were able to get him. But anyway, so, but he knows, I told him about you and he goes, oh, the, the, the Scott Robinson is known all over the industry. He's the best. So, so you won't brag about all that, but let's, let's hear about what made you who you are today. Let's hear about your upbringing, and I, I'd love to hear your upbringing. Your mom, pop, uh, what you know, yeah. what what gave you the work ethic and all the the, yeah. the, the cool things that well, make I, you. I sit here and smile as you ask me that question because it was truly a wonderful period of time in my life. Uh, I grew up in a really small town. I grew up in Ottawa, Illinois. Sure. Uh, my father was an all-state insurance salesman, and he was Big Al Robinson. And if you bought insurance, if you needed insurance, and all, you, <laughs> you knew, went to Big Al, you mm. knew who he was. <laughs> and I learned from that. I mean, he was a guy that was all about customer service. He worked for all-state insurance, which was a great company, but he was available 24-7. I do remember getting phone calls, and he would get phone calls at midnight, you know, my daughter was out in her car with three friends and wrapped her car around a telephone pole. You know, what do we need to do? And he mm-hmm. would always make himself available. My mother, who was truly a, a, a very business savvy person, never went to college. I don't even think my mother finished high school, quite frankly. Um, she was a vice president of a bank and a branch manager and wow. ran a bank. Um, and talk about customer service and knowing between my parents – 
one of the two of them knew everybody in a town of 16,000 people. Hmm. I mean, everybody. <laughs> so I grew up in that kind of a family, um, you know, where you got involved, you participated, you served on school boards or Kiwanis Club or Lions or whatever all those things were in a small town. That's just what you did. And mm-hmm. it was part of your responsibilities being a citizen. And I learned that really early on, which is why I've always been uber involved in actually anything I get involved in. <laughs> uh, I like to just uh, add value and participate. And that's mm-hmm. kind of defines who I am. But yeah, I mean, I had some great um, experiences and and mentors and uh, people throughout my life. I was, you know, again, I don't brag, but it's I'm, I'm talking about, you know, who I am. I was the president of my senior class. I was president of student council. You know, I played varsity tennis. Um, you know, I was just always involved. Worked as a kid. I started delivering papers when I was eight years old. I took my brother's paper route over, and my mother had to sew the paper bag. Uh, up like way up high because it would drag <laughs> on the ground because I was so short. Uh, and I sold newspaper, uh, delivered newspapers, and worked at gas stations and worked in factories and just kind of. Uh, I was not, you always knew how to put cash in your pocket, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I you know I just was didn't yeah. want to be dependent on anybody for that. That's awesome. And what and what did that mean to you? I mean, when you're able to you know make money your own cash, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old, right? Yeah. How about that feeling? And that yeah, it, it's very freeing. It truly is. I mean, if you want to go to the Schwinn bike place and buy a bike, you can I do it. it. Yeah. Free spirit is what it, I was looking for. I was yeah. looking at, at, at uh, Sears, Sears, the Sears store in Fox Lake. I was, I was, you know, my, my eyes glowed at the free spirit, the new free spirit bikes every, every time they came out. Right. Yeah. Eventually I bought myself one of those. Paid, there you go. Paid cash for that thing. Yeah. Like 175 bucks. I think it was back then. It yeah. was the best. Hmm. You know, the thing I just, you made me have a great memory. I just remember being eight, nine years old working a paper route and just simple things like having to balance a budget. Mm-hmm. You know, I, w- I had to pay for the newspapers Absolutely. and then I delivered the newspapers. And then once a week I had to collect the money and make change and make sure there was money in the count to pay for the papers yeah. the following week. Give and a few extra smiles and a little conversation for a little bigger tip instead yeah. of 50 cents this week, maybe a dollar 50, right? That's right. That's uh, right. What paper was it? The Daily Times. I deliver the Tribune, the Chicago yeah. Tribune, and I deliver. Yeah, the Daily Times in Ottawa, Illinois. Did you have a- I had 51, 51 on my route, 51 newspapers. I only, hmm. had, I only had 30, 35 to 40 I had at any yeah. one time. But yeah. we had these Sunday papers are stupid, crazy heavy. Did you have yeah. those? No. Ours were like five inches thick, every paper. It's <laughs> no. crazy. You had to stuff them with, with, with all this garbage in them on Sundays. And it was heavy. I mean, so were, you're delivering them on bike, bicycles, bicycle. Yeah. yeah in the wintertime. Fun yeah, story yeah. about that is I remember I was going to create efficiency, you know, looking for faster ways, oh, sure. you know, more efficient ways. So I thought if I took five or 10 minutes and wrapped a rubber band around a, uh, a newspaper ah. and then threw it from my bike, I wouldn't have to walk mm. up to each doorstep and stick it in the door. So <laughs> saving more enormous amount of time. The Capitani's house right next door to mine was the very first paper I delivered every single day. Mm-hmm. The very first time I did it, I threw the newspaper and threw it right through their glass. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to learn. I had to do some things different. But so think I had to about, tweak the system. But think about that, right? Nowadays, I, I, unfortunately, kids don't have the opportunity to do these jobs, right? right? At young, at, at any age they want, right? And then right. we have these laws against that stuff, right? A kid right. could want to work as much as they want to work at 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. And boy, right. there's no jobs for Form. Right. And the law says you can't work that kid. That's that's wrong. That's illegal for that 12, 13-year-old kid to work. Right. But boy, if they want it bad enough, it's such a great lesson. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, think of the thing, the lessons you learned right there in efficiency. You're thinking efficiencies. Well, gosh, yeah. you took that into your in your business world 
20, 30, 40 years later and today. That's right. right? That's right. So, I mean, that's an advantage yeah. for, that for you to have and I to have that kids don't have today. Well, yeah. I, always, I always look at it as failures, too. I mean, when you're young and you're failing, yeah. that's a way easier thing to do than when you get older, right? Yeah, pay, get those pay, out of the way early. Pay for that glass door. That door yeah, uh, there goes it. your profits for a month. I'm telling you, you, two learn, months, you learn real quick. To, yeah. You, know, you got to fix things when you do stuff like that. So I, I made six bucks a week is what I made. And then my tips, I, I hoped and prayed that I'd get a few dollars in tips every week. So right. it was somewhere between eight and ten bucks a week that I'd make on my paper round. No, yeah. seven days a week. Yeah. Right. I don't know what you made. Uh, about that, I was probably banking about that. And mine was mine. Luckily, was uh, we had six days a week. We didn't do Sunday papers. Yeah, you dirty rat! You yeah. got away, and you probably made as much as me too. You know, I, I, I know. <laughs> well, I had fifty-one papers. You only oh, had thirty-six. Right. Okay, there you go. There you go. Okay. That's a long route in the winter time. <laughs> it was, man. It was. So yeah. we we had I, I had a picture of uh, me. When I was like 12, 11, 12 years old. I was in a boat. We were in an area that flooded. We were in, in a low rent district where we lived, right? Because it flooded every year. It was old cottages that turned into full-time homes, and nobody. No, nobody was prepared for the flooding that happened every spring right. and sometimes fall. So, so I, I had a picture of me delivering papers in a, in a boat, you know, and uh, and it was it was funny because I just I had to get those papers delivered and I didn't think any of it. But but that took a picture is in the Tribune. Here's a kid delivering the Chicago Tribune in a boat. And I got all my papers delivered. And these people, you know, half of them weren't home, but half of them were in their homes right. while they're flooded totally around them. Right, <laughs> work ethic. Yeah, I mean, but again, I all I did, I just had to figure out how to get them to. Them. I didn't realize that this was different than the other newspaper boy. I thought anybody would do this, right? I guess or, some people shut it down. But the waters, the newspapers, gonna be all soggy then when they get it too, right? So no, I usually kept it dry. I figured out a way to keep it dry, however it was. Usually their st their stoops were dry, otherwise they mm -hmm. for sure weren't home, right? But you know, it, it, fighting the carp to get there was, was, yeah. was a whole other story. <laughs> Luckily, you didn't have Asian carp jumping in your boat. We had, yeah, we had right. some big carp. I had a spear in my boat, and after I delivered papers, I would spear carp where I, wherever they'd be caught in an area. Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah. Well, yeah. speaking That's of whole story. Speaking of uh, of kind of fun stories and things that went on and how you grew up, to tell you how small a town it was, um, I had a buddy of mine, Paul Girding, and I would uh, get up in the morning at three thirty every morning. Uh, during duck hunting season and we would literally go out on the river in a boat and go to our duck blind in the morning before school and go duck hunting hmm. we would drop our uh, uh, our take that day off at the shore my mother would pick it up and then bring it back to the house wow. so we could clean it later mm. but we would walk to school with shotguns Whoa. uncased and put them in our <laughs> locker that's and then cool. leave school wow. at three thirty and go back oh. out duck hunting mm. in the afternoon until dark. What would happen today, right? Oh, <laughs> can you imagine bringing a shotgun <laughs> to school today? Yeah, yeah. That's anyway, wild. those are fun stories from uh, from my childhood. But That's I'll talk wild. a business story, uh, you know, just for fun. Jack Cassidy. Uh, there was a uh, three men that owned a gas station in our town called Jensen Rutledge Cassidy JRC. And literally, there could be gas stations all over town with nobody at the pumps. And this was a gas station that people would literally line up out into the street to wait for fuel because they knew how to treat people like a mm, customer. Wow. They didn't ask if you wanted the windows washed. They didn't ask if you wanted the oil checked. They didn't ask if you wanted the air pressure and your tires checked. They just did awesome. it every single time. And Jack Cassie, I learned a great story once. He would have, he have a, they had a coffee machine. You put a nickel in and bought a cup of coffee in a paper cup. And I remember uh, him doing that. And I thought I was going to be a smart, you know, young entrepreneur at 15, by the way. Mm. And I said, Jack, I got a really good idea. Why don't we go to the, to the store and buy one of these 25 cup coffee makers and just put it out in front and make a pot of coffee. And when somebody comes in, you give them a styrofoam mm -hmm. cup full of coffee mm. rather than going in and put a nickel in the machine. He said, Scott, 
you don't understand the difference. He said, if I did that, I would be giving them a free cup of coffee. By going in and placing a nickel in the machine and asking them how they like their coffee with mm. cream and sugar and pressing the button for them and visiting them with them while the coffee's being made and then handing it to them, that's marketing. Ah, so I yeah. learned my first marketing lesson <laughs> at 15 about relationship building. Huh? That's it. It Golly, was relationship yeah. building. That's what they were all about. That's awesome. So you, you know that this, this, this uh, might be a popular um, uh, service in the future, right? Do you hear about Illinois? Illinois is trying to pass a bill right now where we can't pump our own gas anymore. Oh, it's on the table right now. I'm all about that. How about that? <laughs> I'd love it for go back to full service gas stations. But, but how crazy is though? You can't pump it if you want to. Now I like to pump my own gas. I like the smell of gas. Maybe yeah, I don't I know do about that, you know asphalt gas. But anyway, you can't. You're not going to be able to do it if they pass this bill. Hmm, and wow. the cost of gas, which you know we're the most we're one of the most competitive gas prices in the country. Not right. It'll we're one of the highest now. It'll with skyrocket our with that. It'll, it'll be 30, 40 cents more a gallon at least. Yeah. And then they might union, unionize that and think what would that look like. Ooh. So either way, it's what's crazy. their justification for for the change what they, 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 change they talk about environmental that you know we are not, we're not smart enough not to spill it right <laughs> uh, and then there's there's methods you can use it make sure you don't spill it right uh either way but but bottom line is in mostly environmental mm. and uh all job creation mm. this is job creation for our for, for these smart people people way smarter than than us of course yeah running our state hmm. wow. anyway, not no politics get yeah. out the politics scott yeah, okay i'm, I'm not ba- bringing ba- it up back to the business story yeah. I, I love it i love that you know the customer service that that drove People yeah. to line up when they didn't have to, right? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome People couldn't wait to be told that they were good looking that day, or boy, you look like you've lost weight, or you know, whatever. That's yeah, a great yeah. tie you have with your yeah, suit, Bob. Cool. I mean, they would love <laughs> that, cool. and that's what these guys were so great at. So they put uh, in a total, they put uh, nine kids through college, three guys on a gas station. Wow. But think, uh, of, but think about that differentiation, right? It's something simple everybody can do. There's no business out there, none. They can't separate themselves right. by going over the top with a customer service like that, right? That's, and I know we, you know, we we talk about all day long, but we do do we go that far? I don't think so. That's an easy differentiator. Cute. If you just focus on it, Isn't that awesome customer service. Because somebody told me once, an old boss of mine a thousand years ago, uh, Charlie Powell. I haven't mentioned his name in thirty years, but he said, if you get into the executive search business, all you have to do is do what you say you're going to do. Because nobody else does that. Hmm. And I'll never forget that quote. So I just said, when I get in this business, I'm just going to do what I say, we're, you know, what we say we're going to do. Just so so let, let's go, let's go your school, like let's say college, where'd you go? I, yeah, I, I went, and, to, went and, to Illinois State University. Yeah. I played tennis so at that, Illinois State University. Is that Ivy League? No, 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 no. Uh, I, no, I, I no. pictured you as an Ivy League. I, I messed that up. Okay. No, on. not Ivy League at all. It was a great place to go to school though. And I got a great education there. And then uh, I always knew graduate school was going to be in my future. So I I graduated from college with a degree in psychology. I was going to be a psychologist. That was my passion. Uh, I had a high school psychology teacher. Um, It was just uh, Don Sutherland was his name. And it's probably the only high school teacher I can remember his name, but I do because he was my favorite teacher and psychology was my favorite subject. So I got an undergraduate degree in psychology. I went to go work on a doctorate uh, at George Williams And uh, I got about two and a half years into this program or two years into it. And I went with a professor friend of mine, Richard Dorgan, to some private clinical practices. He had a private practice to do marriage and individual counseling. And I got permission to go do a a three-month practicum with him. And his clients would sign a release letting me kind of sit in the corner and watch what he did. 
And I just absolutely hated that job. Mm. Uh, it was mm. depressing. Everybody's oh. glass was half empty. You know, I'm like Gary, one of my glass, man, my glass is always half full. And it was just down. It was too down for me. So I went to Richard. How long uh, did you work there for before you realized that? Oh, I was there maybe two weeks. Oh, okay. literally. It was quick then. Yeah. yeah. And then within three months, my practicum was done. And I said, this, I, 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 now, I'm, now I don't know what to do with myself. And he yeah. gave me great advice. He said, Scott, stay here and finish your master's in clinical psychology. And then add a master's in business. Get, a, get your MBA and go into corporate America. Uh, so that's what I did. Um, and my wife, who will listen to this podcast, will laugh at this next comment. But uh, my wife at the time, I was married, going through graduate school. She was working full time. I wasn't working for our first two and, and a half years of marriage. <laughs> Deb was your sugar mama. She was my sugar mama. And right. she, listen to this. Not only that, she worked at Federal Signal Corporation and she worked for the chairman of the company. And when I graduated from graduate school, uh, Federal Signal hired me. And wow. that was my first job. They hmm. thought enough of her uh, and her work ethic to put this crazy this, guy through college, through graduate school, that they thought. Uh, this is a little bit the start, uh, like the start of the Obama story. I, it <laughs> sounds like, right? Oh, we weren't going there. I thought we were going to <laughs> politics. Let's stay away oh, from I that. Mean, that too, you know, she, she not only is a sugar mama, she found you, she had to find you a job because you couldn't find it yourself probably. You know, she would stay after work every night and type my thesis, my thesis uh -huh. for my, my graduate degrees. And, and finally the chairman said, what are, you, what are you doing here every night, you know, till seven or eight o'clock at night? And she said, my husband's in graduate school. And he said, I want to meet this guy. So we set up a coffee and I met with the chairman of the company and I don't know if he felt sorry for her or like me, but either way, hmm. he, uh, he gave me my first shot, uh, which is where, quite frankly, I got uh, some unbelievable experience way too fast for what I was ready for. But happenstance was the situation. I fell was in the right place at the right time, knowing the right people. Right. All three very good ingredients yes. to success. Yes. Um, right and I right met time. a guy named Tim Covey. Uh, who is my mentor and still is to this day. I mean, he's now in his 70s and lives and retired in Wisconsin. But uh, Tim Covey made my my career, with, without a doubt. He gave me my first opportunity. And speaking of mentoring, we were talking about that earlier. Uh, they fired my boss. And he told me that I was going to do that job. It was the vice president of human resources at the time. Wow. And they fired him. Um, and he said, you're going to handle this job until we hire his replacement. And long story short, they never did hire as a replacement. Mm. So I was given that role at the age of like 24 wow. uh, cool. for a for a billion dollar company. What? And, uh, I didn't realize and, that and he said, he said, I want you to come into my office every morning at eight o'clock and tell me what you're going to do. And then I want you to come into my office every night at five o'clock and tell me what you did. Mm. Nice. And he became my mentor. And that's, and I, you know, I learned how to negotiate union contracts and Holy cow. hire and fire and, yeah. and how run valuable is that huh, yeah. for your future and then he left federal signal and was recruited as the uh chief operating officer and president for a large group of companies for bally corporation and he recruited me to bally corporation as his vice president <laughs> of human resources <laughs> uh, yeah. so at 26 i think i was a VP of HR. So through this time, uh, you're learning all about recruiting too. I was ah. recruiting and coaching and managing yeah. and mentoring and. But for the start of this thing, I mean, you know, it, it was Deb that uh, yeah that, that that got you the job. I mean, that's why I've been married I, 38 years. I think Gary. you still use Deb <laughs> as you know. I mean, you got to close something big. I bet you yeah. bring her along with you well, because you 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 overhit you outhit your coverage by so much. It's I crazy. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll kick your coverage. I should say right. 
this this woman, good, beautiful blonde. Uh, she, I, I think you, I guess you're about the same age, but nobody'd believe it if they saw the two of you together. Uh, and, and you wait, wait, and you look, you're, you don't look any older than you are. You, you actually yeah. look a little younger, but she makes you look old, buddy. I'm telling you, she's beautiful. She's yeah. sharp. Right. You still using her to close things like that? Well, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, I left Bally Corporation to start a company. It now goes back 33 or 34 years ago um, to start this this company. And one of the services we were- How old gonna, were you at that time then? I, you, know, you don't mind. I was, uh, I, was, well, I was 29, wow. 28. So I'm 62. To start, to start this I'm company, 62. you're 29. Yeah. And uh, one of the businesses we were going to have was going to be the outplacement business. We were mm-hmm. going to work with companies when they let people go. Sure. And I would, I'd literally just started this business. I didn't even hardly have a manual done yet for the outplacement, which I wrote. Um and I was trying to sell outplacement services back in the day, uh, along with executive search. Those were the two businesses at the time. And my my wife, uh, Debbie, went to a bar one night with a bunch of girlfriends. And there was a hockey team in this bar, partying, that was the sponsor of their team. It was mm-hmm. a restaurant in Naperville, a Mexican restaurant in Naperville. <laughs> Long story short, she met the vice president of sales and marketing for Polaroid. They got into a discussion and he said, you know, she said, you know, what's the biggest problem you're having at work right now or something? He said, well, I feel really awful. I've got to let 30 people go next week. And she said, well, you know, my husband's in the outplacement business. She sold my very first piece of outplacement business to Polaroid Corporation (laughs) by going out for cocktails and uh, and meeting a guy on a hockey team. That's great. Yeah. So the the two and a half years in grad school, right? Yeah. Did you know what you wanted to do? No. Okay. I was just taking the advice of a very of a guy that I really respected, yeah. Dr. Dorgan, and I just figured if I got a master's and 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 an MBA that uh, I'd find something. Yeah. Uh, and Federal Signal luckily had a, a GE based rotation program, so I would spend you know a month in one role, mm-hmm. then a month in another role, cool. then a month in another role. Yeah. And I happened to wind up in HR right when they were negotiating a union contract, and it was very very. Uh, ugly. Hmm. The union didn't like us and we didn't necessarily like the union. Yeah. I thought that was kind of a silly, goes back to Gary's comment earlier about, you know, I can't imagine, you know, I, I write them a check and they do the work. And, you know, that, that was kind of the mentality. Hmm. Um, culture wasn't a consideration. And so uh, I didn't think that made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So I asked to meet with John Coriglio, the business agent of the union, and resolve uh, 101 outstanding grievances and also negotiate a contract to get a change of work rules and hmm. be able to move people around more fluidly, yeah. which saved us a lot of money, which allowed us to give them more money than they were asking for. Wow, so not only did a- the company save millions of dollars, but the union employees got more money than they were asking yeah, for. Yeah. So after that event, I was kind of the labor relations guy. So sure. I would travel around <laughs> negotiating union contracts after that. Wow. That's a short story to yeah. a very long story. <laughs> no, that's, that's interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. And then when did, awesome. when did, it sounds like before that even there was a passion for helping, you know, and coaching. And yeah. is there something that, that came into your life that was really revealing, that revealed that to you? or? You know, I, I can't say there was an instance. Mm-hmm. I, I goes back to my high school teacher and psychology mm-hmm. and understanding human behavior. And I really got enamored with motivators. What motivates you to do what you Mm -hmm. do versus the same thing doesn't necessarily motivate Gary and the same thing doesn't necessarily motivate Chris. So it was very interesting to me how if you could figure out what the motivators were Mm -hmm. in an individual, you could get them to perform at a higher level. 
whether it be personal life or work life. Sure. And I found that just super fascinating. And then I kind of got into the whole marketing thing and what motivates people to buy one product over another mm. and the psychology of marketing mm -hmm. and it all just kind of evolved through so, that. So, so I mean, it seems like a simple thing, right? But boy, what a what what a, a great point that is, right? If you can figure out what motivates people, yeah. they're they're going to work harder. They're going to they're going to work faster, harder, more efficiently. They're going to love what they do. Um, they're not going to count hours, right? Right. And and that's something I think we're we're all probably weak at usually. Yeah. Right? I you mean, know, we, we kind of think we expect people to to be motivated by something, whether right. it be dollars or whatever. We kind of expect something. And, and we we perceive that when it may not be true sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. And so that might be when we don't get the the production we're looking or the, the yeah. output we're we're looking for out of the, that person, right? Yeah, it is. And I and and I'm probably a little naive to this, but it goes it goes way back where my philosophy comes from. And I, there's two things that I just kind of live by and have, and that is I don't count vacation time with anybody that works for, for me and never have whatever people need to take off, they take off as soon as, as long as their work's getting done, I mm -hmm. can care less. Mm -hmm. And when they're gone, they've got to have somebody backing them up. So that when they're not there, that somebody sure. else is responsible. So that's one thing, you know, and then the, the, the second thing is, is I tell people this all the time, treat this business as if you owned it. Mm -hmm. make any decision you want with any client you have or anything you need to do to make this a better place to be. And if it's wrong, we'll figure that out and we'll fix it. Mm -hmm. But 99% of the time it's right. And it gives them more ownership into the business. It's a good psyche thing for your head to feel like you can make decisions and not have to go to somebody and get a, an answer all the time. And it gives people a sense of responsibility. So what, what an awesome point again, right? I mean, you guys think about this. If you hire for the right culture right. and you know that these people are out for your best interest, the interest of the customer, the interest of your team, right? If you know that, right. then why can't they make decisions like they own the business every day? Absolutely. Right? And and again, I, I'm not sure we do the best job of that. So I'm going to have to go back and listen to this because I probably, we, you know, I got to be coaching our team on this a little more. But again, it's, it seems simple, but it's, but it's a fact. Most people that I know don't do that. They don't, they don't tell every person on their team from the person that's the first day on the team to the, yep. the, the 20 year veteran that this is your, this is treated like your business and, yeah. and make decisions like it's your own business. Yeah. And if you fail, fail fast, let's learn from the failures. As yeah. long as we learn from the failures, we're going to get better, stronger. And, and uh, yeah. Yeah. I go back to my, what, what my comment earlier point? about uh, Tim Covey, the guy at Bally and Federal Signal that, that mentored me. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll never forget his, his now famous quote uh, that I've made famous for him. Uh, but it was simple. And his whole theory was common sense prevails. That was his big line. Mm -hmm. And I, that's, that's my line. Common sense prevails. So if somebody says to me, you want me to treat this business as if it were my own. How am I going to know how to make the right decision if I'm common in a situation? Sense. Common sense prevails. Use, use your common sense as a combination of experience and education and intellect. If you take those three things together along with a, a bread of common sense, you're going to make the right decision. Sure. Almost invariably. Yeah. Especially if the hiring process is done right, right? You have that trust. It goes all the way back to the people you hired. Right. I'm, I, I know it sounds hokey. Darn Scott, everything goes back to hiring <laughs> and, and coaching, you know, mm. mentoring, hiring, coaching. You know, I hate to say it like a commercial, but it really does. <laughs> it really does. It's oh. all about the people. Yeah, hmm. yeah. If you have the right machinery to do your business or the right, you know, intellectual property or whatever all those things are that you need to run the business from a technical capacity, what's left? Yeah. It's the people. Yeah. 
Okay, so let's let's talk uh, briefly about the you know building your first business. Uh, you know, maybe you acquired some stuff, maybe you didn't. Whatever you did to build build Kensington as big and strong as it was, right? You know, selling that your baby, kind of selling that, mm -hmm. and 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 uh, yeah, being being out of that space. I think you you maybe you stayed on. No, I think you you separated, and then and then eventually started again a business. Correct. As right. the entrepreneur, you can't stop doing this stuff. So right. tell me a little bit. Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I I always had this when you when you say you're going to be a psychologist. You know, one of the things I think that a lot of people talk about is they think private practice and uh, you know having your own company. And the, yeah. the idea of having my own company was a big deal to me. So when I left corporate America for reasons we can go into if you want, but it's, it's, it's kind of gets it gets down to values, quite frankly. Hmm. Uh, I left corporate America and I decided I wanted to run my own thing. And one of the things I knew that I did really, really well when I was at Federal Signal and Valley was I recruited really good people hmm. because I paid attention again to culture. I know that's overused, but I, I did. So we kept people longer and we had smarter people there and we had people add more value and I knew I could go out and recruit. So I thought setting up a recruiting business would be really, really simple. That was one thing. <laughs> the outplacement piece was something that I thought people didn't do right. Um, you know, hold people's um, integrity in place and mm -hmm. make people feel good, as good as you can make people feel as they're walking out the door yeah. as they did when they walked in the door. Right. So those were two businesses that I was going to have an impact on. Mm -hmm. I was going to do a better job of executive recruiting because I was going to focus on culture and I was going to do a better job of outplacement because I was going to make sure my clients paid attention to the integrity of the people they were walking out the door. Yeah. Little things simple. Like, for example, I have this philosophy. When you're letting people go, don't let people go on a Friday. And everybody mm -hmm. lets people go on a Friday. It's mm -hmm. the last day of the week. And the reason is because now they've got all weekend to stew about it. Uh -huh. There's really nothing they can do on Saturday and Sunday other than sit with their spouse mm -hmm. and complain and talk about why they got fired and whose fault it was and how terrible the company yeah. is. Let somebody go on a Monday or Tuesday. They've got all week to begin the process. Do you, do you, pay, do you pay them for the rest of the week or no? <laughs> I, I would. Uh, but yeah. So anyway, I got into this business and uh, very, very quickly we, we gathered some colleagues that I had had and created this partnership, which is now Kensington International, which is still in business, by the way, uh -huh. and a great company. Yeah. Um, long story short, I stayed at that company for 24 years. We grew it to a very, very successful executive search, executive outplacement, and executive coaching business. Mm. Um, yeah, I had actually started the coaching business there, and I called it Executive Solution. That was the name uh -huh. of the company uh, because it was going to be solution for, solutions for executives sure. who typically don't feel like they have anywhere to go to. It's the old, it's loneliest at the top kind of a philosophy. Mm. Was that a division or was it a separate company? It was, well, we had set it up as a subsidiary. I think it was, a, it was under a different P&L, but uh, all three of those businesses were under separate P&Ls, but they were all under the Kensington name. And then uh, 24 years later, I left. We can go into that later if you want. Um, and, uh, was going to semi retire and do what I really wanted to do, which was my passion for executive coaching. Mm. Um, so I, uh, I started this little business in an office much like this by myself. I was going to work 20 hours a week and yeah, I remember, just, I remember that. I remember yeah, you talking about it, that. It was just going to be me and that's, I was going to make it really super simple and I failed miserably at that. <laughs> uh, you know, we've got a bunch of great people working there and we built it out hmm. and it's, uh, it's a really fun, it's a fun place to be. That's really and cool. now we're in the executive search business in the executive coaching business. Wow. 
Yeah, it's so, got it's got to be a fun place to be if you're the if you're there leading it, buddy. I mean, well, yeah, we have fun. Yeah, yeah. and we have great people. Yeah. I mean, great people. With yeah. the new addition, as you know, of my son started with me about nine months ago, and he's How's starting it, yeah, talk, a new business. Talk about that. Bring bringing a family your family member in that, that yeah. uh, you know you. you it's a, a it's a scary proposition. Yeah. You know, it can go really really well and be a lot of fun, or it can crash and burn. I mean, it really can. And I I believe me, I work with a lot of companies in the executive coaching business that you know are have relatives in the business. And that's one of their biggest headaches is the mm. fact that there are relatives in the business. Um, but that's a whole different topic. Yeah. So Taylor uh, Robinson, my son, uh, uh, has great experience. He's got great common sense. He's got great energy and insight. Um, he's uh, He worked with me out of college. He went to work for another organization and they did a great job of mentoring and grooming and training him. And he brings that wisdom and experience now to this new role. It's a company called SearchWorks. And it started through a client of ours. The client called and said, look, you guys are killing it doing searches for us at the executive level. And we're just dying hiring managers. We can't hire a manager or a director level position. It's just we can't find them. Mm. It's not working for us. Would you do that? Well, Robinson Resource Group wasn't set up to do that level of search because mm -hmm. yeah. we had to downsize it, skinny it down, make it more efficient, kind of be responsive to the contingency marketplace that's out there. But I didn't want to be in the contingency business. As you know, I don't like being a vendor. I like being mm, a partner. Right. Yeah. So we had to design this business of how can we be a partner and how can we add value and yet compete with the contingency market space. So we developed a process to do that for this client, and he's now running that company and starting up. We just started in January. So I'm excited as heck about it for him awesome. and for us. And he's going to kill it. Very cool. I told you, you didn't even know about this. I got a meeting with him on Friday morning. I can't wait. Yeah, you're going to have a blast. I don't. I mean, yeah, I don't. it's really fun. And he's totally stoked about it. How cool is that? Yeah. So what what uh, what what else do you see in the future for for your young career, dude? Uh, you know what's uh, what, where are you going next? You know I, I'm really having fun. I've made the decision that I don't want to grow this business anymore. We're in a great position where everybody is self managed. I don't manage anybody. Um, I have the best uh, executive assistant. I hate calling her that, but that's what she demands that I call her. And to me, she's our vice president of operations working mm -hmm. for me, uh, Lynn Patton, who just makes my life easy as heck. Yeah. And all, everybody that works there is completely self-managed. I manage no one. You know, I really don't even manage the numbers. You know, we have I have uh, two people that do that, and I'm able to focus on what I love to do, which is executive search and executive coaching. Awesome. And How about the value of that that great executive assistant? Right? Oh. I mean, I mean, De Debbie Ferlano is mine in yeah. the same way. She just she gets it done, uh, and there's no babysitting. She babysits me, I guess. Or there's some babysitting because yeah. she babysits me. But but I mean, how cool is it when you got somebody that looks out for your best interest every day, knows how you think, and uses her common sense to make decisions that right. you would make, right? right. Yeah, if anybody that, that that has an executive assistant that's really, really good and then loses one will have oh, a huge hole. Absolutely. Um, and those that don't have executive assistants, I can't even tell you how much I would urge you to get uh -huh. one. Um, and, and I use a simple mathematical tool. Figure out what it is you make every hour and how much money you spend booking your own appointments and your own flights and doing your own emails and writing your own letters and all the other stuff that, that she does for, for me and for us. And you multiply that out, uh, yeah. you know, the expense to the business and how much more efficient you can be if you took all that time and and did what you're really good at and mm. let her, in this case, Lynn, do what she's really good at. 
it just creates a, a multi, it's a, it's a synergistic effect. It's one plus one equals so, five. So another, another nugget right there, right? I mean, if you know what you're passionate about, what you're good at, what delivers the most value back to your business, right? right? Then focus on that. And I, and I've not been great at this again. I'm talking about this and I'm better at it now than I ever was, but I'm not great at it. And, and then what can you offload to somebody like that person? Now, Debbie is 500% better than me at all of those things that I was doing before. Yeah. Right. And yet I was doing a lot of it. And this is eight, seven, eight, nine years ago. Today, I focus on things I, that, that I love doing, that right. I know I'm better at, that I'm bringing more value back to my organization. So I don't, I don't want her to hear this, but, but she's worth <laughs> way more than I could ever pay her. Yeah. Well, that's absolutely true. We, and, we'll have and to cut is. that, Chris. We have to cut that, please. You know what? Uh, and if you're hiring really good can, people that are really we, good culture fits and you're treating them like partners, everybody you have is worth really much more than absolutely. what you're paying them. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it really is true. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, you know what? Uh, I think uh, we've we've not we've, we've got a lot more we could we could we can get out of this. We could sponge a lot more out of this sponge right here. We we could we could squeeze a lot more out of the sponge if we had him here a little longer. But come back again, Scott. We'll have to have him come back again, yeah. right, Nick? Yeah. And Nick, it's pretty cool that that you stepped in to be my 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 partner in this one because I love it. How about yeah, it? Thanks. Huh? This guy this Good guy went to school for psychology. He mm -hmm. lo loves business. Went to school for psychology. I said, man, your your degree is going to help you in so many ways right. in, in business because we we have to understand. You know everybody around us understand. You know how do we treat them uh, to be right. to be most important, right? To, to 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 for them to know they're the most important the person in the room. How do they, how do we understand their paradigm to do that? This guy's way better at it than I am, and, you, and I know you, Scott, you're a champion at it. So he might want to sponge off you someday. Yeah, it's been really it's been more, an honor. Yeah, great. Right. I appreciate it. But this has uh, been fun. but we love having you, buddy. Chris, do you want to go through the uh, the takeaways? We'll do it afterwards. Okay, so afterwards he's 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 he got some takeaways. He's going to go after and 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 throw them in later. But uh, Scotty, we uh, we really are uh, are appreciative of having you today. You're uh, you're an amazing guy and a great friend, and uh, your story is awesome. Thank uh, you. We uh, we're we're blessed to have you, buddy. And 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 I, I'm confident that the people listening to, to Ditch Digger CEO are going to get some mentoring out of this. And again, how many times did you mentor mentoring, right? We talk about it all the time, but how many times did you mention men mentoring, mentoring, the mentorship you got, and you, you mentioned yeah. a few of those mentors, right? And the mentoring you do today and how yeah. fun it is, right? Yeah. To, to be able to grow this. this well, the thing that's interesting mindset. about mentoring, and I've just learned this recently, is this whole idea of reverse mentoring. And mm. putting an older an older employee with a younger employee, um, oh, yeah. you know, younger guys can teach you how to use technology more efficiently and Absolutely. can mentor you in areas that you're not good at. And yet the older guys can mentor the experience yeah. and the wisdom. So it's right. kind of a fun process, a two-way street. It's not just a one-way street. You're right. Well, in, in mentoring, I, I realized that as I've been doing speaking engagements and doing a little bit of mentoring here and there myself over the years, I learned so much more because if I'm going to mentor somebody, I want to be prepared or if I'm going to speak in, in front of a group of people as kind of an expert or whatever, right? I got to be prepared. Right. So I dig in and I try to learn a little more or, or at least think of the high points I need to talk about that, that are the most important. And sometimes the high points come out there. They're not, they're not things I'm strong at. And I talk about a subject because I think I know a lot about it. Then I dig into it and say, how can I do the best job speaking mm -hmm. about it? And I find out that Boy, you know what? I hear this point more than the points I'm delivering. I got to include that point. Right. And so then you investigate more and you get to be stronger at whatever you're mentoring on also. Right. right? And you, you, don't, you don't expect that. But in mentoring, you get stronger as well. So. Right. So, so, Nick, yeah. what do you think, dude? Are you, are you, are you uh, satisfied? I think that? so. I think right. so. Yeah. All good. So it seems like you guys are, are still, you know, with all the experience you have, you're still open to learn and you're learning, you know, all the time. And, yeah. and that's something that I, I could definitely take away. Yeah. Um, so, Scott. Thanks for being here today. We really My appreciate pleasure. it. Yeah, uh, thanks very much. And uh, you know what? Until next time, uh, 
I'm Ditch Digger CEO. Uh, we we uh, we enjoyed having it all here, and uh, have a great uh, have a great rest of the day. See ya. If you enjoy this show, please share it with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com, for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at ditchdiggerceo and at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. We're blessed to build a business in America where soldiers fight for our freedom every day. Dad's work ethic was taught from the seat of a gravel truck rolling down highway. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans, then I became the CEO man.